Would you join with me in prayer for just a sec? Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word. Thank you. Thank you for your word that doesn't change. Thank you. Thank you for your spirit that fills us and indwells us and leads us. Thank you. Pray that you fill us with your spirit now and open our hearts even as we open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I rarely share this sort of thing uh, for a number of different reasons, but I thought I would share this this week. That Somebody contacted me this week and said um, they've been watching this series online and it's been actually very helpful for them to be watching this particular sermon series and particularly this concept of a gift fish. They said, over the past few years, I've, I've had a gift fish or two that helped me pull me back to God. And looking back, I, I didn't quite make the connection until today that he, he wants me to stop getting distracted. He wants me to focus on training not only my mind and my body, but also my soul to look on him and feel safe. It makes all the difference in the world. I, it, it, if your job is to stand up here and talk and look out at your lovely faces and watch the nonverbals, it's really helpful to occasionally have somebody go, no, 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 it actually worked. You go, oh, good, good, good. It's not about the accolades. It's about actually feeling like you're, you're, you're helping, you're making a difference. Because a large part of my job is to either clarify God's paradigms or change our paradigms. Because we kind of get stuck in mindsets. And they can be hard to dislodge. Even if I get like half an hour out of every 168, it can be really hard to help dislodge some things because there's that 167 and a half other hours. But I think of all the times where we spend so much of our effort to create comfort, to alleviate discomfort, to make sure that our kids are comfortable so they're not whining and so they do what I want them to do and to make sure that, that my spouse feels loved. And you, go, you know, the best way to make sure that your kid is healthy and happy and obedient, the best way to make sure that your spouse feels loved is to actually love them, to actually just do that. Like, I spend a lot of time trying to seem like I'm paying attention. Pay attention. I spend a lot of time trying to seem like I'm I'm loving. Love. It's a subtle paradigm shift, but it's a crucial paradigm shift. It's the difference between spinning your wheels and actually going vroom vroom and moving as a car. So have you been actually thinking about the whole gift fish thing? Have I mean, so that's great. I know it's been, it's been convicting to me, but I also know there's just a lot of times in life where we get things in our lives that we don't like. That we pray, Lord, I'd like this to go away now. And, and you get to. You totally get to, right? There's stuff that we get in Scripture where people go, please, Lord, I'd rather not have this. You get to. That's awesome. But how much time do we spend running into something in our lives that we don't much care for and assuming that God also thinks that it should leave our lives? Versus how much time do you ever spend going, wait, did you allow this in my life for a reason? Am I supposed to be learning something through this? Can I be learning something through this? Is it possible that I just tripped in a hole because it's a broken world and holes exist? Is it possible I tripped in a hole because well, I dug that hole because I wasn't paying attention and I, I'm following the wrong paradigms in my life? Is it possible that you dug that hole so I would trip in it so I didn't fall off the cliff that I was running toward? Lord, how much of the things that I am complaining about, telling my spouse are frustrating, how many things that I 
go to prayer and go, Lord, why aren't you taking this from me are things that you actually gave me. Have you been doing that? Because I know that's hard for me. And I'm the one preaching it. So it's got to be complicated for at least some of you. But I, I, I hope that we are doing that. I hope that we're stopping and saying, wait a minute. How much of this stuff is actually God's provision? Because he's been providing a lot in the book of Jonah, hasn't he? He provided a storm. He provided a fish. He provided a vomit reflex for the fish. He provided a message to give to Jonah. He provided direction for Jonah. And then he provided direction for Jonah. He provided Jonah. And he even provided background information for the Assyrians so that they would even listen to Jonah. And none of these things are what the people wanted, were they? Jonah didn't want that direction. Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want to fish. Didn't want not the fish. Didn't want the fish to vomit. Didn't want to stay in the fish. He didn't want the message that he was given. The Assyrians didn't want the, the famine and, the, and, and all the omens that they were getting. Nobody wanted the gift fish that they were being handed. But all of it was being given to people to draw them to God, wasn't it? All these things were intended to help people come to the Lord. There's a biblical precedent, not only for God providing, but God providing things we don't like. And even the stuff that we like. Oh, the manna is great. Okay, now I'm sick of manna. Even the stuff that we like, we grow to not like. It doesn't surprise me that sometimes God's like, seriously, people? I provide and I provide, but if it's not what you're wanting it to be, you don't like it. Like what you wanted, what I wanted, is the arbiter of what's good for me, as opposed to what the guy who sculpted and designed me thinks is good for me. That can be hard. It can be really hard. Well, today he's going to provide some other stuff. Actually, he's going to provide a bunch of stuff in rapid succession. So let's see if it actually gets through to Jonah, because so far, um, nothing really has gotten through to Jonah. Because unlike us, he's stubborn. So, Hopefully, yeah, hopefully you're with me and Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, let's back up and look at this. God has sent a message to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, through Jonah. And the Ninevites actually believed God's warning. And they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, didn't bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Yay! No, Jonah's upset. The man of God is upset that they found forgiveness they found god's compassion he was upset that they weren't saved no he was upset that they were saved he was upset that they actually survived jonah because he didn't want him to jonah's greatly displeased he became angry literally he got like hot hot under the collar burned with anger he's furious fumed he was incensed how many English words for anger are about hot, scorching? I burn with anger. I was hot under the collar. I'm incensed. I'm fuming. Which is interesting because it doesn't just say he's frustrated. Oh, that's not what I wanted. It doesn't just say, oh, I think this was wrong. He wasn't just disappointed. All of those would have been, I guess, understandable, not justified. 
but understandable. Oh, this isn't what I wanted. But he was furious. By definition, that one requires an object. Somebody did something to make me angry. I can be disappointed that something happened, but furious, angry, that's not just my plan. That's my plan that should have happened. And somebody did something wrong. Jonah isn't just frustrated because the Ninevites survived. He was angry with God for God's mistake. He's angry with God for leaving the Ninevites alive because they deserved to die, right? So he's furious. By the way, explain to me the wisdom of this. Is it smart to be God to be angry with God for being gracious? Is it, is it good to shake your fist and be angry with God that he forgives people who shake their fists and are angry with God? I think that's what you call self-defeating. I don't think that's the wisest move. Then again, I'm not sure Jonah's the wisest guy. He's greatly displeased. He became angry and he prayed to the Lord out of his anger, <laughs> which is not the wisest, again. Oh, Lord, Yahweh, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? Have we gotten that detail yet? Had we? I mean, I've been talking about that. But in the book, had we gotten that detail? That back when God first said, go to Nineveh, Jonah said, I know what you're going to do. I know what you'll do. This whole time. He has known exactly what he suspects God is going to do. Isn't this exactly what I told you back home? Isn't it? I told you this is what you were going to do, God. I told you. I warned you this is what you would do wrong. I told you so. And you did it anyway. God, you fool. You did it anyway. You utterly ignored what I told you. Jonah's a scary book. I don't know if you noticed that. Jonah's a scary book. God, you fool. You did exactly what I told you not to do. I knew you're gracious and compassionate, God. I knew you're slow to anger and abounding in love. I knew you're a God who relents from sending calamity. I knew that you'd use me to save these people. I knew it. That's why I ran away. I knew what you were going to do. I knew you were going to forgive them. I didn't want to be used to do that. You're doing it wrong, Lord, because you didn't listen to me. Didn't I explain this to you? (sighs) Weren't you even listening, God? You go, oh, Jonah's bad. I would never do that. I would never assume that God must be doing something wrong. Everything that happens in my life, I look at God and I say, thank you. Right, right? Everything that happens, you say, Lord, you're sovereign. I trust your judgment in this. Every single thing, you go, yes, absolutely. Or you go, okay, well, I didn't mean that God's sovereign in that. He didn't have any control over that. God's just playing along with me. Or tacitly, in my gut, I say, maybe you missed something here, God. I'm sorry, is there a fourth option? You're right. You're incapable. 
or you're wrong. Is there a third option? I don't think so. But each of those require that I stop and think about my paradigm a little bit as how I'm gauging what it means that God is right or God is incapable or God is wrong. Maybe I need to stop and think about that. But Jonah's like, couldn't you have just been petty just once? Couldn't you? Please? Is it too much to ask that you just slaughter thousands of people because that's what I'd prefer? Please? Do you really want God to be petty? Do you really want God to be fair? No, not fair. I don't think I want God to be fair. God is extremely nice to me. He is extremely unfairly generous to me, and I really appreciate it. And if, like Jonah, I really appreciate all those times I haven't drowned, I kind of need to appreciate all those times that Brian hasn't drowned. Even if I kind of want him to. You all sit there and go, oh, you're laughing, because we know Brian. He's a nice guy. It would be really bad if I sat there and said, I want Brian dead. That's creepy. But if Jonah says, I want those Assyrians who stand against God dead, we go, well, I see it. No, I don't. Yes, I do. I mean, there's an entire people who stand against God. Those are enemies of God, right? I mean, I still creepy, guys. I don't want God to be petty. I, I want him to be gracious and compassionate. And Jonah does too. He really appreciates that he's gracious and compassionate, just not when he doesn't want him to be. It doesn't suit his purposes. Before we judge Jonah too much, I mean, I, I, I really want to paint Jonah in a bad light. I'm sorry. But because we don't normally think about it in those terms, and I really want us to see what he's saying. But before I paint him in a light that makes us go, yeah, he's unusually bad, I want to go, unfortunately, he's the kind of usual bad that all of us can at least step down. We can at least tacitly, even maybe the way we frame our prayers, try to direct God as to what he's supposed to do here. Dear Lord, I just pray that you heal Bucky today before the such and such, and I would really like it if he could go home from the hospital uh, by the end of the week so that he could... You can pray whatever you want to pray, and that's fine, but... I'm sorry, are you directing God? Are you explaining the way God needs to be doing this? Dear Lord, we would just really like this to happen in this manner. And you ever get frustrated when God doesn't appear to be all that interested in answering your prayer the way you were instructing him to? I've talked to so many people. I mean, tell them you're a pastor, and it's amazing the stuff people tell you about. I'm amazed at the people that sit there and, and, and will be like, I don't like, God doesn't answer prayers. I mean, you guys talk about God answering prayers. I did, he doesn't answer prayers. And I really think that we're kind of giving God um, a discredit in that because I think there's a lot of times he answers prayers. We just don't like the way he did. God, please heal me. And sometimes God says, yes. And sometimes God says, yes, and I'll do it this way. And other times God says, no. And we go, God didn't answer that prayer. Yeah, you got to know. God, please heal my wife, heal my child. God, please heal my husband. No. Please? No. <laughs> I thought you were a healing God. I thought you were a loving God. <laughs> you're not, because you're doing it wrong. 
right? We become Jonah at that moment. And an awful lot of people step away from their faith because they'd always been Jonah. It just had never really come up before. Oh, God didn't answer this prayer the way I wanted him to. Therefore, I'm leaving my faith. You've been Jonah. You just never thought about it. Your paradigm had never been challenged before. And you just Jonahed it. That's why I'm doing a sermon on, on this. So that you stop and think, wait, I want to be more Joel than Jonah. I want to make sure that I'm hoping that God does his will, not that God does my will. Because I've been in prayer meetings where people have tried to direct God. As if God would go, oh, that's a much better plan than what I had. Thank you. Good job, Floyd. I appreciate that. And when, and when God does say no, do you find yourself going, why isn't God helping? If you've ever taken a, 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 a premarital counseling with me, or if you've ever taken a class on parenting with me, or if you've ever heard me talk about love, I, I, I consistently define love the same way. It's a commitment, a desire even, to make the commitment to meeting the needs of another person, to making sure that what they need is what they get, emotionally, physically, relationally. Every once in a while, it isn't what they wanted. But if I love you, I want to make sure that you get what you need. So sometimes saying no is the most loving thing I can do because sometimes what you need is not what you wanted. I'd like more heroin. No. You hate me. No, it's exactly the opposite. I love you, so I'm not going to give you more heroin. I don't think it's good for you. And sometimes, conversely, the corollary, saying, okay, is the least loving thing I can do, isn't it? Fine, fine, heroin. I'd like to take a fork and stick it really deep into my eye. No, don't. Please, no. If I ask you please 43 more times, will you finally go, fine, and in exasperation, here's the fork. And you go, thank you, thunk, ah, why didn't you help me? Where were you? Why would you allow this horrible thing to happen to me? And you go, this is the most ridiculous example I've ever heard. And you do it all the time. Because I do it all the time. We say okay because of exasperation. We say okay because we're tired. We say okay because we want to show affection. We say okay because we feel guilty for saying no all the time. So here, yes, I will let you do the thing that 10 minutes ago I thought the loving thing would be to say no to. But because my kid said, can I, can I, can I, can I? I go, fine, I'm going to change my mind. Did you or did you just give in? We serve a God who never does that. We serve a God who never makes a decision based on the emotion of the moment, never makes a decision based on exasperation, never makes a decision because he felt guilty that he's always said no, never makes a decision because he just wants to show affection, even if it's in a bad way and it'll hurt you, but at least so that you feel that he loves. He's far more interested in just loving you, doing what you need, whether you want it or not. He is so consistent, and I love that. I love that his paradigm never changes. He's like, it's not about fairness, and it's about rightness. 
I'm going to do the right thing. Jonah can't see that. He doesn't want to see it. This makes me upset. You're not doing what I want you to do. Now, oh, Yahweh, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. I just want to die. You never think about it, really important people pouting. Adults don't pout. Adults soberly reflect on our losses. <laughs> he pouts like an immature little brat. If you're not going to kill him for me, I just wish I was dead. Why can't you just kill him for me? You know, this is like when your parents show your baby pictures to your prom date. You know, it's, I just wish I was dad. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, I don't think you do. The Lord replies, seriously, do you have a right to be this angry? Are you seriously, are you seriously justified to be this hot under the collar, to be this incensed, this fuming? Are you really? What's your rationale, man? I mean, you've been forgiven a lot. Do you really have this right to be angry because I forgave someone else? Because I've, I've been forgiving you all over the place. And what's Jonah's response? What does he say in response to, to God's question? Oh, he doesn't. He doesn't say anything. God asks a legit straight-up question, and Jonah goes out and pouts in a place just outside the city. Jonah, do you have a right? You go, that's not fair. Yes, it is. That's what he does. Man of God, professional prophet. <laughs> Grouses in frustration. Because he can't define. You ever, you ever done that? You ever been in an argument, realize you're totally wrong, but you won't give in? It's so silly. And you do it. You go, give a defense. No, it's totally indefensible, and I'm right. Shut up. Jonah. Totally Jonah. So he goes out and he pouts in a place outside the city. And then he made himself a little shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Why? What did he think was going to happen to the city? What? Maybe, maybe, maybe God will still kill him. Might be, if I pout enough. Maybe God will give in and kill him for me. I don't know. Why do you pout when you pout? When you soberly reflect on your losses? I mean, some of it's just to express an opinion or a frustration, but some of it's you're kind of hoping the other person will go, fine. Maybe God's not going to do that. But he's just going to sit here and watch Nineveh burn and prepare himself mentally for the tantrum he plans to throw when it doesn't. Because it's going to do one of two things. God's going to finally do the right thing and burn it, or he's not, in which case I'm going to have a cow. Either one is going to happen. So God provided the beginnings of an object lesson here. The Lord God provided, I love this word, keeps coming up in the book of Jonah, provided a fish, provided, he provided a vine, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, ease his discomfort. Because I've got to think after sitting for a couple of days in a fish belly, you're probably not physically comfortable. I would think. So he's sitting there, and God apparently made this vine grow up overnight. All of a sudden, vine, leaves, beautiful. And Jonah was very happy about the vine that he had absolutely nothing to do with. Unhappy with God for saving thousands of people, but he liked the vine. Losing perspective is an easy thing to do once you let yourself get petty. You ever do that? You ever just let yourself go petty for a minute? 
I mean, when you've had a rough time, I'm just going to be, just let me be petulant for a minute because it always helps you to get a better perspective, right? Doesn't it always help you to get a better perspective if you just lose yourself to pettiness for a little bit? No, it never works. It never helps. Always alters your perspective until you finally change and get your head right. But at least Jonah's finally happy. And that's what love is all about, making sure that the other person's comfortable and happy, right? That's why God made the vine, right? To make him happy. Yes? <laughs> but, that's the next word, isn't it? It's that pivot word, that huge, giant, little, tiny little word. God made the vine so that Jonah would be comfortable. For a minute. But at dawn the next day, God provided the same word again. He provided a vine, and now he provided a worm that chewed the vine so that it withered. Does the worm sound like it was quite as much of a gift as the vine was? It doesn't, it doesn't sound like it. But it's this whole set spike thing, isn't it? There, which one is what got you the point? You go, well, it was the set spike. They're both being provided. The worm and the vine. And what does that suggest about God's gifts to us? We love to tell people that we're gifted as teachers or we're gifted as musicians or that we're gifted with wisdom or we're gifted with graciousness. When was the last time you told somebody that you've been gifted with pain? As a gift, God allowed me to go through this. As a gift, I have experienced loss. I'm not saying that every pain and loss is a gift. That's not what I'm saying. But can they sometimes be? And is that where we always leap to thinking? Or do we always strongly associate the concept of provision and gifting with something that made it more comfortable and more easy? Talking to Michael Wainwright this week, chemo and radiation have been really horrible. Really horrible. I was able to talk to Michael Wainwright this week. You know why? Because of chemo and radiation. That's why he's not dead. That's why he's spending time with the wife he loves and praying for the son he loves and visiting the children and grandchildren that he loves. He didn't enjoy the radiation or the chemo. And they've done horrible things to his body. And they're, and they're gifts. They're provisions. We often don't think about it like that. I'm reminded of Jesus talking to a rich young ruler and said, you know what? You know what you lack? Lacking. You need to get rid of all the stuff, this copious amounts, copious amounts of wealth. You need to get rid of that. You need to stop lacking lack. You need the gift of poverty. Then you'll be happy. Then you'll be joyful. Then you'll come close to the Lord. That's what you need. And so he went, no, I'm going to walk away sad and hold on to all of my stuff, which kind of proves Jesus right. Dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind coming off of the desert. Not coming over the Euphrates, not the cool, no, it's coming off the desert, this hot, horrible thing, into the city. But before it gets to the city, it's going to get to Jonah, because he's sitting outside the city, watching the city burn. So instead of seeing the city burn, he's scorching out on a hill. Isn't it, though? It's almost like God planned it that way. 
sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Have you any right to be incensed, to be fuming? Yes, I'm hot, and I have every right to be. Okay. Let's see how that goes. Jonah wanted to die and said again, it would be better for me to die than to live. I'd rather die than go to Nineveh. I'd rather die than turn around on this boat. I'd rather die than be, see those people forgiven. I'd rather die than sit here in the sun. I just keep wanting to do, I don't. If I don't get what I want, I'd rather die. And you go, at what point does that just become a bunch of hot air? Because either you mean it or you don't. And if you don't, stop throwing that nuclear bomb around. And if you do, seriously, has that become the default, this is what is better than anything I don't want in my life? Seriously? God said again to Jonah, really? Do you, do you have a right to be this hot about the vine? Do you? And you would think that the pun would somehow stick. I asked you if you wanted to be hot before, and you said, yes, I want to be hot, so I made you hot. And you're like, I hate being hot. And I go, do you really? Do you have a right to be this hot about being this hot? You would hope that Jonah would go, oh, I, I see what you've done. I, I get it. And Jonah goes, yes. Seriously, you, you have a right? You were so hot about Nineveh. You said you wanted this. You got what you wanted, tiger. How does it taste? You wanted to be hot. This is heat. Do you really think you're justified to be that angry with my decision? I do, Jonah said. I am angry enough. I am hot enough to die. Stubbornly refusing to get it. Yes, Jonah, I picked up on that whole death wish thing. You've said it several times. Except you apparently tossed out a Hail Mary prayer to me when seaweed was wrapping around your head. And when I did save your life, you were all like, oh, thank you. And if you will just let me go back home, I will fulfill my vows. For somebody who is so ready to, I just want to die. I just want to die. Throw me overboard. I'd rather die. I'd rather die. I'm, I'd rather die. You want to live. You really want to live for somebody that keeps saying, I'd really rather die. So I really think that you're basically just full of hot air. The Lord says, you know what? You've been concerned about this vine. You didn't tend it. You didn't make it grow. But you love the vine, you're happy about the vine, sprang up overnight, died overnight, flash in the pan, you had absolutely no connection to it, except that it made you comfortable, and yet you mourn the vine. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left. And cattle, it's got a lot of cattle too, I love that. A little throwaway, a little, and cattle. It's got over 120,000 people, and you picture Jonah going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, okay, cows, it's got cows you care about the cows you don't care about any of this you just want to fireball everything if i remember correctly back in chapter three even the king of nineveh cared about the cows didn't he we're all wearing sackcloth including the cows the king of the people you think don't get it that don't care that don't care about anything i'm doing even he thought about the cows you, you, don't, you don't care about it, any of this not even the cows you've been concerned about the vine that i provided out of nothing you're upset about the worm that I provided out of nothing. You're upset about the wind that I provided. 120,000 people here. Shouldn't I be concerned about that great city? Jonah, you're mourning a weed. But you want to slaughter thousands just because you don't like them? 
Should I destroy a city that save a weed? Seriously? Your priorities are out of whack, man. Your paradigm is wrong. You would destroy a city but save a vine. How hypocritical are you? You care more about your personal comfort than you do about their lives. You care more about your personal comfort than you do about their souls. Jonah, I sculpted the vine. I sculpted the worm. I, I threw the wind. I did all this. But they're nothing compared to me, compared to the, to the people I sculpted, the souls I sculpted, including those who are going the wrong way, including the ones who are standing against me, who are making idols in Nineveh or boarding ships bound for Spain. I care about those people, don't, don't you? To which Jonah is like, well, I care about that one. I care about that one, but not those 120,000. I care about the, the one who turned away from you and says you're doing everything wrong, who deserves your grace, as opposed to the ones who turned away from you and say you're doing everything wrong, who don't deserve your grace. Well, why do you deserve it? Because it's me. Jonah, you're mourning the loss of a vine you didn't create. Shouldn't I be mourning the potential loss of people I did create? You and I will mourn the loss of a job or a beloved family car. Shouldn't we maybe mourn just a smidgy bit more? A little bit more. The loss of those who are so darkened and so wrong-headed that they would stand against God who would sit there and say, I am your enemy. I am the enemy of God. I want to thwart the gospel. I want to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. Shouldn't you be more concerned about their potential loss than you are about the loss of your job or your car? But if InstaFace Twit is any indication, I'm pretty sure it's the other way around. I'm pretty sure I, I see people posting all the time about, oh no, my souffle fell. I worked for this for hours. And the next post, I really want those people to fry. What's your core emotion when you think about the people that would declare themselves your enemy in life? Your core emotion, I need to love those guys. Or is your core emotion, man, I hate those guys. The author of this book never tells us how Jonah actually responds, does he? God asks a question. Shouldn't I be concerned about that great city? Question mark. And what's the next verse? Never tells us what he says. What should Jonah say? He's either right or he's wrong. You're either right, Lord, or you're wrong, Lord. So you should either shake your fist and say, you're wrong, Lord. And I'm not sure Jonah's going to do that. Or you should get down on your knees and go, you're right, Lord. And I'm not sure Jonah's going to do that. So we're left with, I don't know, what would you say? I mean, think about that. You've got this Bible book that ends on a question mark. How cool is that? I'm going to ask a question. And you're supposed to answer it. You're supposed to say, what should I say? You're wrong, Lord. I have every right to hate those people. You're right, Lord. I have no right to be hating those people. If God asked you that, what should you say? 
Psych! He does ask you that. Every day. Every day is like, you're an ambassador to my kingdom. How should I treat these people? How should you treat these people? Every day God is saying, you are reflecting my gospel. Even to those who would call themselves my enemies, your enemies on InstaFace Twit. Would you feel more personally frustrated by your computer crashing or somebody who hates you watching their life crash? get their comeuppance but my computer crashed and it's a terrible inconvenience what is it that eric read earlier from first thessalonians make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else which is interesting phraseology who's he talking to the church be kind to each other and to everyone else be kind to everyone in the church and everyone else Be kind to everyone who thinks like you do, who's part of your family of Christ, and everyone else who stands against all that. Be kind to everybody. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Jonah did none of that, did he? Did he? Make sure you never pay wrong for wrong. I want them to fry. Why? They've done wrong. They deserve it. Try to be kind to each other and everybody else. No, I don't want to be kind to them. Be joyful always. I'd rather die. Pray continually. I'm avoiding that, thank you. Give thanks in all circumstances. How dare you give me this provision I didn't want? This is not a children's story about how God sent a whale to swallow Jonah because Jonah was too timid to go to Nineveh. Every part of that synopsis is wrong. This is a story about grace, God's grace, God's love toward people who don't arguably deserve it. Including the prophet who thought he could decide who deserves it. This is God saying, I'm going to show grace to whom I show grace to because it is part of my character. And before we pass judgment on Jonah, before we dig the moat out of his eye, we need to see the plank sticking out of ours. When God lays something on our hearts that we don't like, Do we push it away? Do we hide, try to forget about it? Do we turn and try to run to our version of Tarshish? Or do we turn to God and say, Lord, help me do this? When troubles come on us, do we grumble and complain? Do we pray, Lord, take these away? Or do we at least take a moment to say, is this a good fish? God, what do you want from this? When we pray, do we promise to to love but neglect to obey? Do we confess our faults and say yes lord help me obey even in the parts i don't want to when we finally do break down and do what god commands us to do do we do it grudgingly or do we do it because we want to have joy in it do we do we appreciate when god works his perfect will whether it aligns with ours or not that's the sticky bit and when our hearts do burn are they burning Are they burning against our enemies or are they burning for our enemies? It's important to stop and think about what paradigm you're living by. This book leaves off with a deafening silence, forcing forcing us all to answer God in our own hearts because Jonah never would. Would you join with me in prayer?